All right, welcome everyone to We're Talking. Uh, today we have our uh, guest, uh, J.D. Byers from uh, South Alabama. J.D. does the uh, ESPN Plus broadcast for the baseball team, and I know that's your, not your official job title. So I'll let you, why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been doing this and, and your background. Okay, uh, this is, I, I've been at South for seven and a half years, and uh, prior was at University of North Alabama. That's where I played uh, college football and graduated, did, you know, play-by-play -play and director of broadcasting there. Uh, part of my role here at South Alabama uh, is also, in addition to the title of director of broadcasting, is also selling, you know, doing the, the sponsorship sales, uh, fundraising, packaging the assets like signage and digital and print and radio network and all that stuff to to build revenue because we're, we're an in-house operation. We don't lease it out to a third party right seller or reseller, meaning any kind of business we do with a sponsor is, is all 100% stays on campus and it, it's worked for us. And it's enabled us to do some unique things with our clients and our sponsors and our fans. And we've grown our network um, on football days to cover 13 stations and it reaches about three and a half million. So that, that's kind of the latest going on right now. And of course, with the advent of ESPN plus it's shaking up the job titles and roles and who's doing what and when and we just we make the most of it and do the best we can so were you on the radio broadcast before that before the espn plus and were, were you were the play-by-play -play guy or the color guy or how, how did that work i'm play-by-play -play. Okay. i've always been play-by-play -play, uh, even though i was a former athlete but uh yeah i did football basketball baseball and still do predominantly all of the football radio broadcasts uh okay. and if, if if national TV doesn't have the game and we air it, uh, then then I'll usually slide into that chair, and that's kind of the way it is right now. It's just because, you know, if you if you outfit that ESPN Plus endeavor, it costs a lot of money for people at cameras, people wrangling cables, people holding you know doing your audio in the truck, people doing your replays, doing your graphics, your director, your producer. And then, you know, you, you start leasing out and adding on top of that talent to come in, being a play-by-play -play and a color analyst, maybe a sideline reporter. And, I mean, it, it can get out of hand in a hurry in the expense. So we kind of slide people over and backfill on the other side in some, uh, you know, uh, cheaper roles. Good deal. So if, if you had a choice, so would you prefer radio or, or the TV broadcast? Probably radio. It's, it's, it's my first love. It's uh, – you know, it's more theater than mine. It, it's kind of more of an art. It's more craft. It's uh, knowing that you're painting a picture for somebody that can't see any of it. You got to be their eyes. And I actually have a, a really good friend in this business. You may have heard of him. I don't know. His, uh, his name's Mike Moat. Okay. And so, like, a lot of what you do on a game day with uh, with Jay or, or an engineer, as we call it, the, somebody who's uh, mixing all the controls they're recording audio. They're making notes for halftime because sometimes that person will also host halftime part of pregame or whatever. Uh, Mike Mode is that guy for a lot of people. And he also now runs the network control for Southern Miss at IMG College. He's blind. Oh. Uh, so he can follow a game while the broadcaster is calling it. And, you know, he has Braille, so he can operate a, a mixer or whatever. And he can, the guy can do everything you and I can do. But as long as you're calling the game, He's making notes 
and he has a really good mind's eye and recall because he has to commit a lot of stuff to memory. And when you go to halftime and play-by-play goes to get a half a burger and a, 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 a Coca-Cola or something, yeah, he's anchoring halftime, and he's recapping the game perfectly. Um, so I try to I try to always, while I'm watching the field and I'm doing radio, and it's not television, I try to, even though it's not Mike Moat, I try to picture that Mike Moat's sitting right behind me. That that for his sake and all the listeners, they need every detail possible. They need the yard lines to be exact. They need the, a descriptive account of who's in the game, who checked out of the game. Uh, where are we on third down conversions? Where's the ball right now? How's the wind coming in? Uh, are we starting to get sprinkles? All of those little things so he can tell the story as well. Uh, and in television, it's just the opposite. And you get really spoiled at doing TV because you come in as a play-by-play guy and you pull it way back. You don't, I mean, less is more. You want to let the crowd react to a play and what we call layout and not sit there and keep rattling and talking and busting your chops. You want to let the fan experience the play and then set up your color analyst because in, in TV, it's all about the color analyst. The less you even notice the play-by-play guy, the better. Uh, because you're just what we call captioning that play. Um, because you can see it. There's no reason in saying something you can already see. Like, was it a waist-high shotgun snap or a, a snap to his right shoulder as he drops his right foot, uh, steps up and looks through his gray-shaded face mask cover? You don't have to say all that. You can already see it. So it's it's less is more, and uh, there's no two-hour pregame. There's no hour postgame, uh, and everybody wants to do their own set up and break down. So it's literally put the headset down and go to the truck. It, 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 it could be, it could spoil you. Yeah. It, it, I'm, I'm just watching games across the ESPN plus network on, on various, uh, whether it's football, baseball, I agree with you total. There's, there's, a, there's, you can tell the guys that have done radio because sometimes they go into a little bit too much detail, like you said, and where the color guy is really the guy that, should be explaining what just happened, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Basketball, you know, in radio, it's uh, right of the lane, drop step, spins towards the block, uh, fading away, uh, shoots with the right hand, um, and then pumps his fist after it goes in and all that. Basketball, it's low to Smith, spinning, and he's got four. Don't say good or not. You can see if it's good or not. Yep. Don't say, don't say misses it. You can say, you can already see if he misses it. <laughs> just, just keep going. If he hits a three, uh, don't say that's a three and it's good. Just say Smith from outside. Yep. And then while it goes in, look at the monitor. That's his sixth. Let the crowd react. And that's his six. He's got 18 and then shut up. <laughs> let the, let the color guy do his thing or let the crowd go crazy, whatever. You know, not that I'm that old, but at the same time, I, I still enjoy, for me, uh, especially baseball. I think baseball was made for radio. Oh, and yeah. I I love listening to Jay and uh, Danny Reed over at Georgia Southern and, and the guys that do baseball. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's not only uh, – it's – it's really an, an art form uh, as opposed, like you said, TV. Not that anybody can trust me because doing these interviews that we started 
with these Zoom meetings at the beginning of the year. I'm not a radio guy. I'm just a guy that's trying to, you know, I'm interviewing Coach Deggs on, on this platform here, and uh, I'm not trying to say I'm a radio guy or a TV guy. It, it it's I never thought it was easy, but it's still not as easy as you think it is either, you know, type of deal. So Well, and this is the kind of stuff that's good, though. It's the genuine stuff. Uh, and, yeah, baseball is a, is a romantic sport. And I had to peel that back too, going to more ESPN from radio because, you know, I'll be sitting there and I'm trying to pull it back. And, you know, it's not an uh, intense sport where you're trying to have a lot of energy. You can intermingle stories. But then the, the hard thing for me to overcome was calling every pitch, yeah. you know, bre- breaking ball, uh, slider inside. They can see that. <laughs> you don't even have to say that. Exactly. So uh, it's, it's like, you know, you want to humanize players as much as you can off uh, any broadcast, whether, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, Levi's story, the quarterback for the Cajuns about, you know, what he's done or, or fought through or an injury or, uh, you know, maybe some kid's mom's in the stands, the first game she's made in two years because she's battled cancer or uh, some kid uh, had a learning disability in high school uh, barely graduated, but now he's got a 4-0. You want to humanize players. And when I step out of a radio booth for the Jags, but I slide into an ESPN booth, uh, and it happens to be the Jags and the Cajuns or whoever it is, I get to remove those colors and mascots and just showcase the kids. And that's the funnest part is because now I can research and say something great about uh, the defensive end for the other team and how he had a car wreck and they said he'd never play again. You know, and you, you want to humanize a player to tell their backstory, to connect a fan to these are just kids. They're, they're just student athletes. But in baseball, you really get that chance because it's a slower sport. Yeah, it's it's uh, to, to me, it's still my favorite sport. And I remember uh, when dad was uh, stationed in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, uh, had my little radio on. And I get to the Cardinals games on the on the am dial there and everything so i i kind of grew up on that as a as a third grader still in, loved baseball since since that time so that's been my sport and and i'll probably go to my grave with a baseball in my hand hopefully so but that's good stuff well good deal uh let's uh first of all for those that don't know uh we're gonna the 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 game friday night has been postponed to saturday the series is now a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series. If weather does not permit on Saturday, uh, uh, there's a scheduled doubleheader on Sunday and the game on Monday. Uh, it sounds like they are going to do everything they can this weekend into Monday to get these three games in. I think it's important not only for both teams, but it's important for the league, especially as we move forward now going into uh, – uh, RPI season is what I like to call this last third of the season and everybody's looking who's going where, uh, things like that. So, uh, it'll be interesting. Now, all three games are supposed to be on the ESPN plus platform. Is that still the the case as far as you know? Yes. Um, because we're not carrying our spring football game. That's going to be Saturday, 1030, uh, Hancock Whitney's, Stadium, the, the new on-campus football stadium is turf. Uh, right next door is the indoor. Uh, but I think we would try to play that in the stadium if possible because they've already uh, distributed tickets. You had to register for those. But, uh, the, the you know, Eddie Stinky Field's a, a great 
facility and, and the grass and the, the, the playing surface is just beautiful. And it's really gorgeous this year. We've had some good growing season and sunshine uh, and just enough rain and a good grounds crew. But uh, when you get as much rain as we've gotten, it's just, it's just hard. And if you, that's the, that's the drawback to, at, at, you know, the, the surface of the Teague at Russo is, is artificial and that's nice, but uh, it's, it's, it's still grass here in Mobile and, that's the drawback because usually, by and large, we're the second or first wettest city in the country with Seattle, uh, country city in the country. Yeah. Well, you know, the uh, you brought up the turf. When I first started doing this for the Diamond Club 10 years ago or so, and I met with Coach uh, Robichaux, Coach Robe, and uh, I – you know, we started talking baseball and I said, well, there's, I said, there's a couple things that, that, that bug me about college baseball. One is the ping of the aluminum bat, which I think they've done a better job in designing the bats to where it doesn't do that ping, ping oh, yeah. type of deal and the artificial turf, you know, but you know, the, the, he explained to me quite elo eloquently that, you know, if it was up to him, he would have wooden bats except for the cost of it. It's, it's just cost prohibitive for a college team to go through that many bats uh, every year. And then the other side of it, it was, uh, you know, you're fine taking care of the turf and everything during the baseball season, but what about that recruit that comes in that happens to be passing through town in September and the field hasn't been mowed and there's daisy and clover and everything in the outfield and your field looks like a, a, a solid mess. That's not something you want to do. And, uh, I'm sure at South Alabama, just like uh, here in uh, Lafayette, uh, we're not the LSUs or the Vanderbilts of the world, and we don't have that money for a full-time grounds crew. So as it, as good as they are, you know, it's not going to be kept up year-round. So uh, it was it it I've come to to be at peace, I guess, with the with the artificial turf. So yeah, and I I do I do like that. The, the fields that are artificial, but the mound is actually dirt because like even take, take, look at Bandy. You got rocker and lighter, really good pitchers. And they've always had good pitching, but their mounds are turf and it's just kind of unusual. And I just wonder what they could do with dirt. Um, but they're great anyway, probably the two best, uh, by themselves wanted to, uh, pitchers in the country. Rocker got rocked a little bit last time out against Georgia, but Leiter is still who he is. And we've actually faced him last year before the pandemic struck out 15 Jags. But uh, when it's actually dirt, I think that's preferable because even if you have a multi-team event, you're hosting a conference tournament or whatever, man, you could turn around a game. You're not re relining, you know, first, third, or even right and left. And you're not having to drag and do all that stuff. Wow. It's great for a multi-team. I agree with the mound, though. I, I've I've seen several this year that uh, that 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 have artificial mounds too, and I to me it just doesn't. There's just something that doesn't look right. And I I, I was never a pitcher; I was a catcher, so I couldn't tell you what it was really like trying to throw throw from there. But it just there's something that just doesn't look right there to me. So yeah, because you want to engage the rubber a certain way with the side of your foot. Yep. And it's it's almost like, well, I got an idea. If you're going to go turf mound, just don't have rubber. Just have a white stripe like a hash mark on the field. And as long as part of his 
foot's covering it, you're good to go. Let her rip. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I think some of those pitchers though use that to push off on on that mound too. Versus so. Oh yeah. Again, I'm not a pitcher, and I I don't know what that would what that would be like. So, but all right, let's let's talk some baseball now. Uh, some uh, this weekend series. I've got to ask you before we get started. I, I'm I'm sitting here run, crunching numbers and everything. So uh, the Cajuns over the last eleven games are, are nine and two, batting three oh five. 404 on base percentage, 508 slug, you know, uh, un- un- unbelievable. I mean, playing good ball right now. But, you know, I'm looking, and, and the Jags are 7-4. and four. Again, a good another good record. But I'm looking here, and over those 11 games, they're batting 178. What, what is, I mean, if, if I can see them being 4-7 and seven batting 178. But seven and four, what is going on there? I mean, with, with, with I mean, I know they, they 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 lost three to Little Rock, but uh, and swept Troy, which was kind of a little bit of a shock, but to me, but and just came uh, off a shutout midweek against Southern Miss, um, which was a great win. Take, yeah, we we beat them three times now this year. Uh, two in Mobile, one there, and it's kind of like the old uh, Walter Mitty story or Jekyll and Hyde. Who are we going to get? Who's going to show up? Who's going to act a certain way? Uh, Pitching team ERAs are about the same across the board. These two teams coming into the weekend, the Jags and the Cajuns. Yep. Uh, South's a three eight six, and and starting pitching has been more consistent on the weekends. Save the weekend last against Troy, uh, got knocked around a little bit, uh, and then the pen has been really good until the weekend, and but but seemed to get some of that back Tuesday night. Going into the uh, weekend, this is prior to Friday's game, Jags pin at that point, I think the numbers right or thereabouts, had nine wins and nine saves. They had been really good and had more than one uh, late inning closer. Tyler Samaniego, you'll see him. You'll see Chase Dalton, who feels like he's been here eight years. Uh, Jackson Boyd's been really good. And then Miles Smith, he tossed, I think, the final two scoreless in the uh, shutout. 4 nothing Tuesday night at Southern Miss. So it has been about pitching. The, the you know, the, the timely hits at times are there and at times they're not. What they have done uh, offensively, South Alabama has limited those left on base. So we're tending to score guys when you get them on, get them around, manufacture runs, play small ball if you got to. Uh, nobody's jumping off the chart at home runs right now. Um, you know, Caleb Balgard's been a really big surprise addition, but he is swinging. Uh, he's got a team high strikeouts. He does have six bombs. Ethan Wilson, preseason first team All American, preseason conference player of the year. Right now, is our only Jag hitting over 300. Uh, five home runs, but he was really slow out of the gate this year because right before the opener, he twisted his ankle. So couldn't play for a, a few games, did come in and designated DH'd. Finally went out and left. Caleb Balgard had been filling in for him. He goes out to right. Uh, so Balgard's a really good fielder. He adds another good bat when he's on. Um, and then, uh, you know, Ethan Wilson, he was hitting some. You you guys saw him last time we were at. Uh, Jay still says it's the longest home run he's seen hitting that park. His exit velocity at a couple of television games were, you know, over Major League, like 
yeah. 109, 111 exit velocity. A little bit of that's not there, though, with that ankle this year. So he's not hitting the long ball a- as much as usual. And uh, that that's kind of where we stand right now. Well, it looks like you are. I mean, over the last 11 games, you have 11 home runs. I don't know where you stand on the season, uh, but it seems like it's that's starting to pick up. But it seems to me that you're having the uh, – you had uh, strikeout-itis, which the Cajuns had early on through the first 21 games. You're, you're averaging right at 10 a game, and we were averaging, I think, the same thing, 10 to 11, which we've cut down on significantly. But when, when, when we hit that 10 mark, we, we tend to lose a game. So, But um, to your point on your pitching, which I, I – um, let me see him. I noticed that, you know, the ERAs are similar, uh, and but our, our pitching is uh, this is conference only statistics. You know, our pitchers are allowing a 230 batting average, where your pitchers are uh, allowing a 188. So, and we're allowing about 12 more runs in the same number of games. So, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm looking at your all games totals too. I've got that sheet in front of me. If you okay. need, I, just, I was looking at some of those. I, it, it's, I guess your pitching is, is like you said, is what's holding you in there. And, uh, so how, who, who are we going to face? Uh, have you had the same Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys? Cause as you know, the Cajuns have been dropping around and moving, uh, pitchers in and out. So. I think I know where we're going to stand. Uh, cause it, it is what it is early in the season before we hit conference. But, but, uh, Jeremy is, uh, Probably going to go the first night. Jeremy Lee, uh, last time he was at home, he struck out nine. Uh, second game, you'll probably see Matt Boswell. He goes by the Boz, and he does wear the 44. He was a Bosworth fan. <laughs> uh, he pitched five and two-thirds, one run, eight strikeouts last time at home. Uh, and the Jags won that game 6-3 over Troy. And then uh, – It'll it will probably still be JoJo Booker in the second uh, third game. I'm trying to say not say Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm trying to say game one, two, and three because yep. who knows when we're playing what and when. Uh, but Booker is a uh, uh, much more mature with more pitches. He came in just a fastball. It was 95, 96. Uh, gave up a, a easy high six figure draft uh, opportunity coming out of high school, but all they had was fastball. So the first thing was let's get your slider. Uh, he got his slider, but it looked a whole lot like his fastball and was 91 miles an hour. So uh, he now has a, uh, a changeup, not a big curve guy. Jeremy Lee, the game one starter, you'll see, you'll see one of the best 12-6 breaking balls in, uh, in college baseball. The guy, what was that guy's name? The really tall guy at Georgia State. Oh, oh gosh. Do you remember his 12-6 breaking ball? Yeah. It it looks like that. Uh, now, that guy was 6'6", 6'7", so when it came down, it looked like it was coming off uh, somebody throwing it off the top row at, at Russo. But, uh, yeah, Jeremy Lee's got a really good 12-6, and it kind of has just a little bit of side movement as it approaches the plate. It's really hard to square up. Uh, he's very confident. He's a four-pitch guy. Andy has velocity. Uh, you know, Mark Smart, he'll he'll talk, he'll tell you, he'll assess. And uh, the game one two weekends ago when, when they faced Lee, he said, we knew about his breaking ball. That was every bit as good as I've ever seen. He goes, what we weren't prepared for 
was his velocity. She said, we, we were thinking 91, maybe one or two at 92. He goes, but he was 94 the whole time. And he goes, we just weren't ready for that. So he's a guy that's four pitch, good soft stuff, doesn't live or depend on a fastball, but he can smoke it in there. Uh, then when you go with Boswell, he's he's got a lot of soft stuff, and he's primarily non-fastball. And then Chojo Booker's primarily fastball slider. Um, and uh, he's he, he'll, he'll pitch to contact, and, uh, you know, he's either going to strike you out, blowing it by you, or he's going to let his infield and outfield help back him up. How, how is struck it? out 10 last time out, by the way, Booker did. He was on 10 strikeouts for five walks. Wow. Six scoreless. Hello. Hello. Kevin's got his mic on. Oh. Okay. Uh, uh, hold on, Jimmy. It's, uh, my phone is acting weird right now. <laughs> We're going to mute Kevin. There we go. Hopefully. Uh, he dropped off. All right. I don't think I kicked him off. Um, so defensively, though, how, how is the team playing as far as fielding? I mean, I noticed there were uh, – oh, like I said, I just kind of did a quick glance at the last because you're the, trying to find statistics, game-by-game uh, game statistics, without having to pull up each box score was a little difficult for me. I got uh, the book. Uh, this is home, of course. I only do ESPN yeah. at home, but – I was looking. You said I could ask a question too. Uh, yes, I, I see forty-six errors. I'm like, what? Forty-six errors, but that I, I feel you because while ours is twenty-eight, I swear twenty-one of those were in the first three weeks. It was bad. Uh, two and a half weeks, maybe. We had. Uh, uh, oh, I wish I had all the final boxes in here. Yeah, uh, yeah, we had uh, error, error. error. Through our first that eight, game in the first five. Through our first eight games, we had 14 errors. So, yeah. And then we went through another stretch of nine games that we had 17 errors. So, and, and that's where, when we stopped doing that, when we stopped striking out, is where our last 11 games have been uh, that we've excelled. Uh, and I'm for- I would say, go ahead. I was going to say, unfortunately, I think the majority of them were unforced errors. Uh, just, you know. I would say ours uh, or South Alabama's has been a lot of uh, trying too hard error because go to the Alabama game. Uh, the Jags led almost the whole game, gave the lead up in late innings, came back, were up two runs going into the bottom of the ninth with all the momentum and uh, only needed two outs. Runner at first, and the Jags boot two double plays in a row and don't even get one out. So, get one out in either of those routine ground outs. One went to second, one went to short, game's over. Instead, two errors load the bases, guy walks up, hits a grand slam. That would have been an RPI help that, you know, probably puts the Jags up in the top 20. Because we've already beaten Southern Miss. Southern Miss goes up there and annihilates Alabama. Southern Miss comes around, comes back to Mobile. We beat them again. Southern Miss gets another win or a series uh, plus a midweek. We go to Southern Miss, beat them again. And so I think after the Southern Miss live RPI went from like 86 to 61. Um, it's just, you know, you you got to close it out. Coach Cal- Coach Calvi's been calling the, the leverage innings. 
you know, the the ones that we've got to start winning or the the, the Jags have to start winning. I, I, you know, when I'm when I'm doing ESPN, I can't be saying we, us, they, and them yeah. and all that. It's that's all right. But uh, for for the sake of this podcast, uh, I I think I'm representing the Jags for you. Yep. But uh, the 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 leverage innings, and then the Jags, I think, have settled. The first three weeks, there were a number of games in some consecutive where almost every time they took the field, they gave up a crooked number and had that one bad inning, like a five-run inning, a six-run inning, a seven-run inning, and it was just too much to climb back from. And, yeah, the pr- a few a few small details here and there and an error uh, here or there, and including the Alabama game. The Jags are probably realistically at 25 wins right now, 24 uh, but probably nothing more than that. We've uh, we've had our own issues, uh, some inflicted, but we've also seen some good pitching. We've seen some really hot bats. I expected a lot more. That was a surprise. It was a surprise to get swept at Little Rock, but it was I think an even bigger surprise to sweep Troy. Yes. Troy came in and had, oh man, they had six. I think they had six guys going in game one who were hitting three hundred or better. It sounds uh, about it right. Just, it was crazy. They had hit. At that time, they had hit 28 home runs, 18 of them within the last five or six games. I mean, they were just knocking the cover off of it. Guys that were hitting, oh, gosh, over like the last two weeks, because I was I was looking at some of their individual stats and trying to go back and compile them. They had three guys in there that were hitting 60% or more of their hits were extra bases. And then one of, if not the best, outfields in the country. They've got a really good outfield and ended up having two errors in the series by the center fielder. Both impacted the game um, and things just didn't go their way. And sometimes you have those bad weekends, but obviously in that, that rivalry in-state matchup, uh, South Alabama was fortunate and very happy to get those wins. Well, and, and that was the same thing similar to us at ULM. ULM is a much better team, but uh, we ended up having to come back from seven down to take the game from them. But, you know, you, you talked earlier about, uh, you know, get, getting out of an inning or two here or there, and it's a difference. And and we had a similar situation at Southern Miss in the first game of the series there. You know, you got two two strikes and two outs, and then all of a sudden they score seven runs on us. So spun the game completely out of control and probably the weekend out of control too. So it, it doesn't take much, as we know, in a baseball game. Oh, uh, Little Rock. Jags were salvaging game three. It was Sunday. Gave up five in the ninth. Lost by one. What was it? The Alabama game? They gave up, y'all gave up four in the ninth or, or three? Yeah, or? it was, uh, we were up two with the, uh, you know, one on one out and just, just needed to turn a couple of outs and had a double play, booted it and right behind it, another double play ball booted it and didn't get an out each time. So, uh, you don't even face that guy who hits the grand slam because the game's already over. Uh, if you if you turn one of those two double plays, the game's over. If you get just one out on either of those ground balls, the game's over. But yep. it, you know it is what it is. Josh, you want to jump on in? I'm, I know you've got some questions there that you had told me. So uh... yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, JD, thanks for taking the time. This has been extremely informative and uh, very enjoyable. Uh, you guys were just mentioning defense, and you know I'm always on the search for. Uh, an edge one way or the other interesting note fielding percentage while I know doesn't necessarily tell the story uh, you guys know that but in the top third of the country number 55 um, 
South L. Fielding percentage, 974 with 28 errors. Cajuns in the bottom third of the country, number 214 at 961 with 46 errors. So that could potentially be a, a major edge for the Jags. Yeah. Um, you, you may see – you know where your errors are going to be. They're, they're short and third. Um, the uh, the shortstop situation, he has started every game of his career. This guy named Santi Montiel. He has been making some really good, uh, great plays, you know, fielding towards second, spinning towards right field around and making that spinning play. He has a really good knack. Uh, third base is where a lot of those errors piled up right out of the gate to start the season. But it's because we, we didn't really know who we were putting there. And we we're, you know, trying some guys – Cameron Tissue has kind of solidified himself now as the everyday third baseman. He has a really good arm. And I think anytime you're trying to pick or, you know, give guys some innings, let them see some balls and determine who's going to be your everyday guy at a certain position, it's that pressure. Once you kind of know you're the guy, I think you just tend because, you know, you're confident, you're, you're in there, you're, you're settled, and you don't feel like you're going to be yanked over one error. Uh, and you can kind of play and just play the game you've always played and grown up with and, and make those plays because when that ball's hit hard at you, and on, on, you know, you can kind of judge it on turf. There, there's not a lot of differentiate, differential between, you know, the infield grass to the dirt or is it going to hit a little bitty rock or is it going to do this? You're probably going to get some routine hops. But uh, now that everybody is pretty much set, first base is, is still not 100%. You could see Caleb De La Torre, who's – gotten into uh, some balls here as late. He had two home runs against Alabama. He had, uh, I think, uh, he had one big one in the first inning Tuesday night, a three-run shot that put the Jags up 4-0 against Southern Miss. So when he gets into one, and, and he's, a, he's a real cerebral guy. That's He's he's patient. He'll work a pitcher a long time. He'll stay in that bat, you know, 10, 11 pitches if, if needed to, trying to get on base. But uh, if Santee's not going, you know, there's Alden Davis, who's also an upperclassman that could fit in there. His batting average just not quite uh, what you're going to get at this point in the year anyway as uh, Caleb Delatore from Fort Scott, Kansas. You mentioned Tissue. He's an interesting guy. Obviously, uh, with the bat, average is not quite what you'd like, but he seems to be in the middle of everything when you guys are scoring runs. Uh, I'd love to know more about Cam Tissue and uh, – did you guys recruit him as an infielder, or is he a kind of a, a tryout over there and it's just worked out? Or uh, he talk was, a little bit about that. I, I don't really know specifics, except yeah, they they went at him as an infielder, and uh, but they they like his 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 bat and felt like uh, he and Noah Bailey, who's also beginning some infield work but may need to develop, could be some of the best. Uh, guys at the plate in the league by the time their career's over and have some really good numbers. Uh, but Cameron's a guy that um, he walks up and it's like, okay, I'm not going to play this ahead in the count, behind in the count. If I like it, I'm going. And he works fast. He's up there. Uh, throw me something around the plate. I'll, I'll give you a shot at it. I'm swinging. Uh, against Troy two weekends ago, he had six straight at bats, six over two games where he started out 0-2 in the count and ended up with four hits. It's just – it's crazy. He's He likes his statistics of, you know, I, I can't hit it if I don't swing at it. <laughs> and and they were throwing strikes, so you might as well, because uh, there's nothing worse than getting uh, getting behind or go to a full count 
and uh, him throw you something you can't hit and can't square up. So if you if you like a fastball and see a fastball, swing at a fastball, and Cameron Tissue will come up, and he'll go with the very first pitch of the game if he needs to. He's he's also been our leadoff guy, uh, very very fast, uh, but but they don't run him a lot. Michael Sandals actually our best stolen base threat, but he's batting third or fourth. He's eight of eight on stolen bases. Uh, the Jags have you know tried twenty eight, got twenty one, not nearly the stolen base attempts as uh, Louisiana this season. Mike Sandal, is he trending in the right direction or did he get a, 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 a little bit of a slower start? I was looking at his numbers that really couldn't tell the story of his season yet. Uh, talk about Mike a bit. Slow, slow start, but also he's got a nickname, uh, Big Game Mike. When it's, you know, big opponent or a big moment in the game, if the order has him coming up, you, you feel pretty good. Uh, it's the routine at bats uh, when, you know, you're up three runs – or you're blowing somebody away and you need him to go up and work, uh, and, you know, get some experience, see some pitches, is, uh, is, is really what hurts his numbers. Otherwise, if you just take his big moments and isolate those, extrapolate from his overall numbers, it's, it's a really impressive number. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's the other times. Now, a big moment, uh, or he, he's a guy that really, like Mark Calvi, does not like leaving runners on base. If, if runners are on, uh, two outs is Mike will work and maybe I don't I'm just guessing may have the highest pitch taken on the year because he will foul off a ton he can he can sit in there and protect the plate and 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 stay alive for quite a while uh, not not earning a lot of walks and the Jags you know don't have any guys with with more walks than, than strikeouts Ethan Wilson does because a lot of guys are pitching around him he's, he's an all-american so he's got 20 walks 12 strikeouts but uh, you know, not not like a uh, nobody on the Jag roster like a like a Drake Osborne who's two to one better walks to strikeouts and you know uh, doesn't get a lot of at bats. But you know you got that you know Jonathan Brandon who's about one to one. Everybody else is you know more strikeouts than walks. For those, I on, hate to put you wait, on the spot. Wait, wait, oh, Josh. For those for those that are on the call with us, if you have a question for JD, you can go ahead and type it into the chat feature, and I'll we'll get we'll get. Uh, I'll ask him the question for you, uh, or if not, at the end, we'll go ahead and unmute your mic, and and you, we can get any questions you might have. Go ahead, Josh. Sorry. Sure, no problem. Uh, hate to put you on the spot. Hate to be that guy, but uh, and if you don't have the stat in front of you, that's perfectly fine. Maybe just overall feeling of watching the team. Uh, the split, as far as home and road go, uh, do they seem to sputter on the road? Do they seem to hit well at Eddie Stanky? Just watching the team, you know, game in and game out. How do you feel watching the offense home versus road? Uh, predominantly better at home. Um, Jacks gave up a lot of runs in games early, which has kind of skewed the home record eight and six. Uh, but on the road, there have been a few ballparks that they've hit well in, Alabama being one of them. Uh, but you know, Little Rock, I just I don't see how that, that, that one got out of hand the way it did. But it's just something about the home park. Maybe that's predominantly the, the reason at a lot of places. Um, we we seem split-wise, if you just take the normal order top to bottom, even if you mix them up a little bit, we've almost always gone four lefties, but somehow uh, at the plate anyway, have gone better top to bottom against righties. Uh, there are a few exceptions. Uh 
so, you know, you got you got a big bat like Ethan Wilson on one side, and then you got Caleb Balgard usually right behind him, who's also a slugger that's batting from the other side. Uh, so it's a, it almost forces a pick your poison from a opponent's side on pitching on, well, who do you want to throw to? Because they're both very, uh, you know, uh, they're going to get it to the wall. So it, it's a tough situation, a tough choice uh, in a tight situation for an opponent's coach on which, you want, which one you want to face by stacking those two guys together. But they have, I think, overall, and I don't have the splits, but I think it's a, it's a remarkable difference against right-handed pitching. Got that. Uh, speaking of Eddie Stanky, what, you know, obviously the atmosphere is different than it's been, and I've always enjoyed making that trip, but uh, how's it been? Oh, he froze on us. And I don't know what you guys' capacity is. And... <laughs> we're, uh, we're just, well, normal capacity is a little over 4,000. Uh, the outfield decks, we call it Jaguar Alley. It's in right center. There's three giant decks out there. Uh, have shut those down for the season. Oh, really? Uh, I've enjoyed yeah. that. I've I've enjoyed sitting out there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've seen some crawfish bowls out there before when you guys are in town. The uh, <laughs> the uh, the crowds have been right at the number we've allowed because we're still at twenty. 20- percent it's still a uh, a mask to get in it's a mask while seated unless you're eating or drinking uh so of the 25 percent i would say that we're allowed max we're pretty close to that number every night and i've been i've been kind of uh, amazed at how many are coming out at midweek and almost getting to that number our uh, our student athletes though and this really started with the new football coach uh kane womack is he challenged his team and kind of forced but I think they're enjoying it. And it's spilled over in some of the other uh, sports and, and programs is look guys, uh, Jags need to support Jags. Uh, Cajuns support Cajuns. If you're a baseball player, uh, you know, be at the basketball game for crying out loud. If you're a football player, dude, there's 120 of us. Let's go to the games. Uh, so they're, they're trying to be more supportive in attendance. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a four walls theory in business or, or restaurants or something, you know, you got a restaurant sitting out here that's real successful. And then if there's another restaurant coming, everybody thinks that this restaurant that's already there is going to feel threatened. But that's that's not the four walls theory. It is that the more you put in an area when family B is getting in the car, they think of, all right, we're going to eat. Before they even decide, they start driving towards where the restaurants are. Uh, and the more students you get at games and it becomes a habit and the, it becomes more of a tradition, then that becomes more of their, their habit, more of their behavior. And if, you know, I'm a, a guy that likes going to football games and I hear that the football players think it's cool to go to the baseball game, I'm going to go to the baseball game. So we're trying to do that at all the other sports and it, it's really helped. It's made the atmosphere better. Uh, you know, and, and the kids here on campus are, uh, very passionate about their red, white, and blue. I think that's one of the biggest things seven and a half years ago when I got to South Alabama was when I walked on the campus, you're in a state of a very successful Alabama program. Auburn has had some success, and obviously both programs have uh, exponentially more uh, sports traditions in South Alabama. We've only been playing football for like 11 years. But I was, I was amazed at how, you know, not only are they not, the kids here not wearing Alabama or Auburn, but a high percentage of them are wearing – I'm getting a call from a Lafayette native, by the way. <laughs> but a high percentage of them are wearing Jag stuff. That's uh, Bobby Champagne. Bobby Champagne, we call him. Yep. From Lafayette basketball coach. Oh, I know Bobby. Yeah. 
good, really, really dear friend. So uh, you, you brought that up about the football players. I know and that that's one thing that Coach Hud did while he was here. The football players would finish with practice, and, the, and our indoor practice facility was right next door to the softball stadium, and they were able just to roll out that back door of the soft uh, of the indoor practice facility and get out into center field. And when you got a bunch of raucous football players out in center field having some fun, and you got a bunch of old fogies in the in the in the grandstand, it, it was it was kind of nice and a nice change, but the. You know, Hudspeth brought that into the uh, basketball program as well. I think it's very important uh, for student athletes. Like you, you talked about the Auburn-Alabama dy- dynamic. When I first came here to USL in 1982, there was more LSU gear on our campus than there was USL gear. And uh, it, it was just one of those things that we slowly were able to build it up. Uh, but the uh, ha- having... Having said that, I remember going out to the, the bars in the strip area and our football players were getting in fights with our baseball players. There was no, you know, it wasn't all for one and one for all. It was like, you know, you're, you're a problem. And just, it, 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 so I, I, I like the idea and I think, I think it's great that each program supports the other program because you're only going to be as good as your, your weakest link. And if we can get us all to rise and do do better, uh, you know, it's it, it's 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 good for the athletic program in general. And you don't have to worry. It's a lot easier to fundraise, and it's probably a lot easier to sell ads as well. Oh yeah, and I I can speak for the campus here. Is um, you know, I think you see support across the league for the other members in the postseason too. Uh, you know, just because Troy is a in-state rival, and actually. I think if you polled a regular Jag fan, at least a blue blood Jag fan, they probably feel Louisiana is a is a longer, more of a rival. Yeah. Uh, because just been members longer, have, have battled in, in sports longer, and they like it. It's a healthy rivalry. But you know, if, if Troy's in the postseason in, in basketball and and Louisiana's doing something in basketball, you know, it's a it seems like a conference. All boats will rise, uh, type thing. And we want to see the league do well because except for Georgia you know, State, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, now that Ron Hunter's gone, it's a little easier to uh, palate some I did, of them. I, I didn't have as much problem with Ron as I did with the baseball coach, Brady. Oh, really? Ooh, gosh, I, yeah, he got I, ejected at our place one day. You know they they were never uh, I. I don't know. Uh, they were never really a threat to us in baseball. They had a, what was it, Gaddis was their pitcher? That was the guy I was trying to remember. Okay, that's the breaking ball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he was a top five-round draft choice, too. I'm not. Oh, sure. yeah, he was good. He, he I, I still don't understand how he got there, but, you know, he should have been up at Vanderbilt or uh, Tennessee or somewhere like that. But, yeah. So. I'll tell you a story. I was We were playing in, in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, we messed up in the first game and got behind a game. Uh, and it, it happens. Came back and, you know, belted them pretty good in the second game. Uh, Sunday morning, I, I, I drove myself, so I'm in my car. I go, I go to the park. And uh, I'm going to start, you know, setting up the gear, prepping, get some notes, get the, you know, the, the scorebook ready and, and, you know, test some wireless and all of those things. Well, it's rained. Um, well, I'm up there. But it hasn't rained that much. And uh, 
some guys are up there and they're packing stuff up. I'm like, what's going on? Well, we just, we banged the game. We canceled. What? What? I said, I haven't heard that yet. Yeah. They, they just made the decision. So I called the SID and, and you know her, she's, she's yeah. a great lady. She said, I, I think that's wrong. I said, well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm just letting you know that's what they just walked up and told me. She called me back and said, evidently they are. And uh, I said, well, I'm, I had my binoculars. I said, well, I'm sitting here watching them walk the outfield and there is no water out there. So we ended up missing first place in the East by a half game. Because at the, at the end, here's, here's, the, here's the kicker. As I'm getting my stuff in the car and I try to just do it to where nobody noticed me leave. I, I don't know if I should be telling this. <laughs> I put it in the back of the car and I pull off just a, you know, about a hundred yards and stop. And I wait for a minute. They have practice on the field. And I was like, you can't play on it. But you can practice on it. And, I mean, everybody was out there. They weren't out there just, you know, uh, throw, you know throwing and, and, and hitting a few balls out just to get loose. You know, everybody was in the locker room getting dressed for practice. That's why I didn't think they were canceling it because all the guys were showing up and all their cars were there, and they were about to practice. I'm like, oh, my word. Anyway, yeah, we missed. I do think, though, that was the year that we missed first by half game and we went to Georgia Southern – and it rained like crazy, and we went to single elimination, and we yep. beat Georgia Southern in a 10-inning walk-off for the uh, – I think we were going to be an at-large bid anyway, though. The RPI Jags were like 34, and yep. Georgia Southern, had they won, I think we both would have gone that year because they would have been the automatic qualifier, and I think South Alabama gets an at-large. So it was kind of bittersweet, uh, not just in the fact that Georgia Southern didn't get in and we didn't have two teams in uh, the conference tournament, but also, um, when I left, because of the way we won the game, uh, a Georgia Southern fan slashed my tire. Are this you? Got another good story for you. <laughs> they did. I kept it as a keepsake for like three years. Wow, wow! I remember uh, flying over for that for that for the the tournament, and uh, we kept delaying our flight, delaying our flight, delaying our flight, and then we went over and uh, got there the day of the game, and then. Uh, it, the game was delayed, and and then we ended up, I think, going extra innings, and we lost an extra inning, and and it's just, you know, I I I love Danny Reed and Colin Lacey. They're they're good friends, and I love going to visit them. But I'm like, that that was the the biggest disappointment I had there that weekend. So we uh, I went I went when everybody else went, and I want to say I stayed three nights in a hotel before we threw the first pitch. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, Josh, anything else? I know JD's been very kind with his time here, and uh... yeah, I don't want to overstay our welcome. I have, I have a million questions. I mean, it's baseball, right? But uh, no, hey, JD, give me something. To, you know, I'm I'm a Cajun man. I, I take my food very seriously. So, give me a uh, give me a place to stop and eat that is not on the uh, the beaten path. I, I want something that is very local and uh, maybe a little obscure. Oh, oh, obscure. Uh, let's see. You're going to be in town for a while. Or are you going to stay for the weekend or you over? For one Try to stay the weekend if possible. Well, I'm going to look up a breakfast place that I, I know that's good. So downtown, uh, the original Wenzel's is down there at seafood, uh, but it's open lunch and dinner, um, out on the causeway. See, the thing is I eat at your place a lot. 
<laughs> and I just don't know if you can top the food around your place with anything here. Um, <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, a really cool dining experience. Here's two for you. One's a, a sports uh, bar. They're a sponsor. Baumhauer's Victory Grill is over by the mall. Uh, shops at Bel Air, just off I-65. It's uh, it's in the mall. Uh, opens up to the outside. Baumhauer's Victory. That's Bob Baumhauer. Killer Bees, Miami Dolphins, Don Shula. He also has another concept that happens to be his. It's on the 34th floor of the Trustmark Bank Building downtown. And even though it's, you know, white tablecloth and all that, it's really not that expensive. But you have a view that if you're there, especially right before nightfall, uh, is just remarkable. You're looking south-southeast across Mobile Bay out into the Gulf of Mexico. So it's uh, it's really pretty. And what's Dolphins, the name of that building? Uh, it's in the Trustmark building. And it's uh, called Dolphins, but not not Dolphin with the L. It's Dolphin like the Mahi Mahi, D-A-U-P-H-I-N-S. But Wenzel's Got downtown, uh, right across from campus, right across from Stakey Field is a little sports bar. I'm sure uh, Craig's seen. It's called Heroes. Yes, they, they've been uh, great to us. When we played football there a few years ago, the Cajuns were playing Louisville in basketball. They gave us a set up tables and gave us some drink specials and appetizer special. Great place. Really enjoy, really enjoy it there and always try to stop in and give them a little business. Yeah, uh, yeah Heroes – Heroes is good. Uh, Schultz took me to Heroes. Good spot. Yep. There's one downtown, and then there's one yep. right here at campus. The one downtown is by Schultz's, uh, where he lives. Yes, that's where it was downtown. Okay. Bob, uh, uh, Bob's downtown restaurant too. If you're looking for breakfast, I'm telling you, worth 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 it every little bit. I, we really enjoyed that the lot when we were there for uh, for the bowl game. We walked up to Bob's downtown. So it, this will be the first trip for the Cajuns to Mobile since '16. Uh, and the Jags have lost the last two series, if I'm not mistaken. In 19, the Jags won 9-2 to two in the first, dropped the next two. Um, 17 was in Lafayette. 18. Actually, the eight, 18, the Jags won, won two of the three in Lafayette. Was that the non-conference series? Yeah, that's when we came over there early. Uh, that, that morning we had all that hail yep. right before the Saturday game, I think it was. It, it covered – that field right behind you on your uh, virtual. I, I was there when it was coming down. It was me and uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Schneider, Schneider, and uh, one of your facilities guys. And we watched hail cover that entire field at Russo uh, over an inch deep. And then, of course, it was hot, so it melted, went right through the turf. No harm, no foul, but it was neat to see that. And you had built – you had not finished Russo, so, like, the suites and the media wasn't ready – but that big overhang was, and that hail hitting that overhang was just, that was something to behold. Well, again, I want to thank you for your time. You've been very kind. Yeah. And uh, maybe uh, if, if the, the Jags and the Cajuns uh, kind of hit up in the conference tournament, maybe we can do another 30-minute one before the baseball tournament. And if not, uh, hopefully Josh and I are still doing this in the fall and and we can get together before the, the the Cajuns and the Jags play football next year and talk some football too. I mean, I know yeah, you man, don't mind talking sports. So. We're ready to have you all over here for uh, to see the new football stadium. I, I am I'm excited about that. I, I was disappointed we didn't get didn't get to go last year. So yeah, but so but uh, again, thank you so much for your time, yes, sir. And uh, thank enjoyed you. it. 
hopefully uh, we were both able to to, to uh, learn a little bit about each team. And uh, I'm still breaking down. I did my. I know I sent you my Sunbelt Conference kind of newsletter that I do each week at the beginning of the week, kind of breaking it down. But uh, I'll go ahead as I break down the the two teams now for tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a copy of that too. Maybe there's something in there, in there you can use for your broadcast. So man, I could use it. You, you don't okay. know how much I'd appreciate it. Well, Josh, you and Craig, be careful coming over, getting the uh, get the Kuyans into P-Road, and come on. Hey, JD, listen, man, I, I appreciate it. I love this kind of stuff. And uh, listen, I want to get this on the record. Final thought. I think an underrated part of this weekend series is Jag starting pitching, striking out hitters at a pretty good rate versus the Cajuns' tendency to strike out. I think that's going to end up being the story. Friday, I agree. Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, I think it, it, it's it's the, the Cajuns – the Cajuns need to be at, uh, I, I believe, to win the game, they have to be below seven strikeouts per game, uh, eight, eight at the most. And, and if, if the Jags can get get above ten, it, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a struggle for us. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's the battle to watch. And if Ben Fitzgerald gets lost or something on the way, that, that's <laughs> fine too. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I think there is one person Coach Deggs will not leave behind if he's late on the bus. And that's yeah. Ben Fitzgerald. At least I hope so. I hope he doesn't leave him. Cool deal. Thank you, man. I appreciate you inviting me and letting me be on with you. All right. Thank you. This is our first one. So hopefully uh, Josh and I are still doing this. Uh, it's been fun. I enjoyed it. I, I love, Anytime I can talk sports and, more importantly, baseball, I'm going to jump on with anybody. So I love it. Yes, indeed. Take care, JD. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye.